One. Two. Three. Four. Five. Six. Seven. Eight. Nine. Ten. I got the giggles because like, I was like, I'm going to do it wrong. I just like, <laughs> I started thinking really hard about it. I got quite nostalgic listening back to our first episode and hearing us doing like the synchronized clap. Mm. We should bring that back. We can do counting to ten and the clap. The clap was much harder to sync on account of the fact that we're like, we would never do it at the same time. <laughs> and so I would sync to the clap and then it w- I would have to just like sync back around it because we like, we just like go like a second apart. <laughs> It sounded like the one of those like clapboards that they do in like when they're shooting movies. Yeah, yeah. Or well, maybe we should do that then. Maybe we should do. Maybe that. you can you could appease me and just edit in a clapboard sound. Okay, cool. Well, I'll do that. I'll do that for this episode. Lights, camera, action. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Pronouns in Bio, the trans show for trans and non-binary people and people who don't know they're trans and non-binary people. Mm -hmm. I'm Clea Madeline. Uh, What are we talking about on the show today, Re? We're talking about The Matrix again. Again! (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Lana, for gifting us with more content. (laughs) Pronouns in Bio reloaded. (laughs) Yeah, it actually occurred to me literally just now after all of the 15 minutes or so of chat that serves us for episode prep this time round, that last episode was sort of about The Matrix, but mostly about John Wick. The the first episode or the last oh, episode? Oh yeah, the first episode. Oh my God, Cleo. <laughs> yeah. God, I was like reeling backwards and being like, I thought we talked about Christmas, but maybe we did talk about John Wick. <laughs> 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 yeah, we so, talk, we did talk a fair bit about about John Wick. Well, it's because yeah. that was the the he him lesbian setup, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the running <laughs> joke that has led us to be, frankly, if not hurtful, then like dubious towards uh, an entire demographic. <laughs> I was actually talking about this the other day. I was recording a podcast for work, talking to the people I was working with about whenever you are in the trans community, particularly if it's for work, you're like very cautious about what you put in your professional life and what you put in your personal life, because you never know who's out there on the internet going to try and make something of it, you know? Absolutely. And yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I've got... <laughs> Just like visibly sweating. Yeah. <laughs> I was like... I've... Got a podcast where we say John Wick is a lesbian who uses he him pronouns, and I put it on my CV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh Jesus. The um, the, the cancelling's coming. We'll probably look back at this conversation in X amount of time and be like, oh, little did we know. We literally said that like when we did the first episode, though. We just don't have enough clout, and that's fine. If you're thinking of blowing up this podcast, for the love of God, please don't. Yeah, we're we're cloutless and free. <laughs> cloutless and free. <laughs> the Matrix Four, cloutless and free. So yeah, it's quite nostalgic in a sense, I guess. Thinking back on episode one, I know you've been re-listening to it uh, today. What do you have any like thoughts or reflections? My main takeaway from it was that, like, you can kind of hear how, like, nervous we are or, like, how, like, a bit unsure we are to start out with. Mm, mm. And then the, like, Javengers joke happens. 
<laughs> and it's it's just like there's like a click moment where I think we found like our niche comedy, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> both just like guffawing at each other over just absolute garbage, um, <laughs> and it like it made me laugh again. So yeah, there was like a real click moment for for that joke. I think. Yeah, it is like. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we are like low clout forever it is astonishing that we are low clout forever given how funny we are like every time i I re-listen to the podcast i laugh at all the jokes this is so (laughs) self-indulgent oh dear i don't even laugh at them like i'm like oh like remember those funny times i laugh at them like these guys are hilarious (laughs) get a load of these guys oh dear so Let's talk about Matrix 4. Is it called Matrix Resurrections? Is it literally called that? Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we're always doing the joke about, like, it being something Revelations or something Resurrections, but they really did just go and do that. They really did, yeah. And I guess this is a wider conversation we can have around Matrix 4, like, whether that is, like, an ironic gesture you call it the Matrix colon Resurrections, like a kind of like video game sequel, you know? Like something out of the Resident Evil movies. And I don't know if that's just like because what films are called now, or if it's like an ironic gesture. And I feel like that's something you can say quite a lot of the Matrix for colon Resurrections, which is that I certainly for one was stimmied a lot of times in terms of like whether it was an ironic gesture or not. Yeah, yeah. The opening, like, 40 minutes, the group of us that were watching it, we were just kind of, like, audibly (laughs) sighing. We're, like, with, like, every single big sort of reference that it did back on itself, just being like, oh, oh, there's another one. Oh. (laughs) But, like, it wasn't really in, like, a we're not enjoying this way. It was just a, like, come on. Yeah, I know what you mean. Funnily enough, those were the bits that I really fucked with. I think because I didn't think it was clever, because I just thought it was like, luxuriating in itself a bit. So on the nose. And like, Lana just, I mean, the Wachowskis in general, like, they just don't do subtext. And this was their like, least subtext heavy movie ever. Yeah. Before we get into that, let's dial it back a bit. I guess the big broad question is, did you like it? Yes. Nice. Did you? Did, did I? Uh, yeah. Y- not. I heard that you didn't like it when you first came out of the cinema and then now you've come around. Yeah, I didn't like it coming out of the cinema and then I was sort of talked around to it on reflection. But what I did like even in the cinema was the opening 40 minutes where it's just like insanely on the nose. Mm, There's yeah. a sequence where... Keanu Reeves is like back in the Matrix as a game designer and in this little pocket dimension the Matrix is a video game he designed and now he's designing its Mm -hmm. sequel and like the sequel is called Binary and he hates Mm -hmm. Binary Mm -hmm. and you know you're just sat there in the audience like oh yeah like the the moment when they're like oh Warner Brothers wants us to make a sequel but we don't actually want to make one you know you need to get involved in this anyway if you want any control over what it's going to look like and it was like yeah All right, Lana. (laughs) Yeah, and then, like, they've got this whole bit where they're, like, going around the border and being like, the Matrix is about geopolitics. The Matrix is about... I loved that scene. It was so good, right? It was so good. Where they keep just being like, it's got to get inside your head and, like, fuck it up. It's about climate change. It's about neo-Nazism. It's about trans politics. (laughs) (laughs) It's really great. 
that was very, very different to like anything that had come before. And it felt mm. like, I guess tired, but also quite fond satire on the bits in like Matrix 2 and 3, where there are just long conversations about mm. what the Matrix is and how it works. Mm, yeah. It felt like the film was kind of throwing its hands up at the cultural monolith of the Matrix. I think it's really interesting to have a movie about the cultural impact of itself 20 years prior. Mm, 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 That's mm. just like a really neat concept that I can't really think of. There may be others out there, but I can't really think of any like major movies that do that or Mm. have done that. Like with that in mind, it was after that first 40 minutes or so that it started losing me. I can see that. And I don't really know why, because there was like some cool effects. We can sort of talk about like the actual you know, matrixy bits in a minute, but like, it suddenly felt like it had spent the first half of the movie being like, what even is the matrix? Who the fuck would try and make a matrix movie? Like it's, you know, it's become this cultural touchstone. And then they were like, okay, let's make the matrix. Yeah. I I did notice my attention slipping whenever they were like trying to do matrix stuff. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or like whenever they were trying to like, talk about it or explain what they were trying to do on like a technical level i just wasn't listening yeah it felt like it was less it feels weird to call the matrix less tight from a sci-fi perspective because the lore has always been basically like whatever Mm. lana and lily want to put in you know Mm, yeah but it definitely felt like i don't know maybe it's just that we're not in that age of like analog sci-fi anymore Mm. you know like the matrix is coming off the back of your whatever your neuromancer and your shadow run and stuff not only is that aesthetic so effectively like colonized cyberpunk now but also like technology has changed and and i guess changed away from the kind of specificity that the phone lines and the code and everything gave it yeah i agree i think i personally have less time for like techno babble nowadays. Mm. You know, it's something that I quite strongly associate with like Star Trek and like nostalgia and yeah, like 20 years before. Mm. And I guess when I watch like a big budget sci-fi now, you don't really get that much techno babble mm. anymore mm. of yeah, just like sciencey sounding nonsense. Mm. So yeah, the I, I felt like there were points when the narrative dipped into that a little bit too much. And I was like, I actually don't need you to explain it to me. Like I would prefer you not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just kind of get on with it, you know? Just like, I know, I know it's cool. You're showing me that it's cool. I don't need the explanation. I actually think I still don't really get what was going on with a lot of the science. Like I don't really get why the, they can now yeah. like see the operator. There's that robot that looked like a manatee. Oh, the robot was so good. Yeah. And there's that oh. guy made of ball bearings. Yeah. So there was like a modal that Neo was making or yeah, Thomas Anderson was making. And that kind of went over my head a little bit. Um, there were, yeah, there was some like technical stuff that didn't really make any sense to me. Also, like I, I'm less clear on why Bug in the opening scene was like watching the opening scene of the first one like are they time traveling as well like is that just that they're like inserting themselves into previous timelines so the model is like a like a little mini matrix that like trains programs 
Okay. And like loops, I guess, certain events. And right. Bugs is like okay. watching it and seeing that they've changed something in this modal or something that like Morpheus isn't there or so- I don't really know. See, yeah, it just if you try and pick it apart, you get a bit lost. But yeah. like that's okay. I'm kind of just like fine with that. Well, that's the thing. I got on board with like <laughs> Fruity Morpheus, although I heard that they snubbed Lawrence Fishburne. Like they didn't even ask if he wanted to come back, which seemed a bit. Yeah, mean. I read that as well. I read that they didn't even like ask him. But like I was fine with Fruity Morpheus. That was all good. Morpheus was great. Yeah. I didn't get why they have this like little twink in for Agent Smith now. <laughs> I really liked him, little twink. Yeah. What? The guy's huge. <laughs> Wait, which guy? The guy that's playing Agent Smith now. He's like pretty, pretty big and buff. Is he? Isn't he? I think so. I thought so. Like the corporate boss guy. Yeah, I think oh. so. I'm gonna Google it. I'm now. imagining him as like a little willow. <laughs> what is he? Is he? Um, <laughs> I don't think either of us are right. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I think he's just now. like a no- I think he's just like a normal. Man. He's just a normal looking guy. Oh my god, that really is the power of the Matrix. Which <laughs> you, <laughs> you you think that's a twink you're ogling? <laughs> Oh dear. It's like holding up a picture of like some K-pop idol and being like to turn a human being into one of these. <laughs> Fuck me. Okay, cool. Well, we've successfully confirmed for the viewers that we <laughs> we've literally watched the movie and still have like no recollection of it. I guess what I mean is I don't get why maybe it just like wasn't right to get Hugo Weaving back, but I don't understand why he was Agent Smith and also someone else. Mm. I don't know. What do you mean, someone else? Wasn't he? I don't know. I'm... Well, he, he was like, in The Matrix, he was like Thomas Anderson's like business partner, right? Yeah, but he was also the new Agent Smith and he'd been like merged with another program or something. Something like that. Something like that. I was really here for like him like turning around and helping Neo. I really, really liked that. I liked him a lot. I, I, it's more just an example of me being like, the minute I try and like engage my brain to understand what's going on, it's like just like touching a hot plate and i think that's the thing with the wachowskis you really do just have to let them do what the fuck they're doing Mm. because trying to grasp it is totally hopeless is there any other first impressions you'd like to share how good was everyone's sunglasses all of the sunglasses were fucking amazing that is a really astute spot i didn't actually think about that they're all really, really good. I'm going to get me some of the sunglasses that Bugs wears. Oh, you're going to look so good. Yeah. So that's yeah. an interesting one, actually. In terms of the styles of The Matrix, mm. I was really, really into the way that they kind of like had Bugs and like Bugs's crew in this like new... Mm goth type stuff like they didn't do like the long coats and the flip phones i'm so glad you said that because i I totally thought the same thing i really loved the like 2021 take on like the matrix aesthetic like they kind of ditched the pvc everyone just like really sharp in a way that still called back to the original aesthetic of the costuming in the first movie but felt now. I kept seeing them and being like this is an outfit i can see rian in but some of them i'm pretty sure outfits i have seen you in I think when we watched it, Meg commented a few times every time Bugs came in with like a new outfit and was like, you'd look good in that. Yeah, you would. 
<laughs> I really liked the person who was like femme and had like the space buns outside of the Matrix, then in the Matrix had like the side curls done into like an infinity. Is that the actress that played Danny in Sensei? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I really loved how many Sensei actors there were. It felt like seeing old friends again on screen. Yeah. Yeah, I actually think the costumes were where it looked sharpest. Because mm. for me, I actually didn't like a lot of the aesthetic. Yeah, I, I can't remember uh, who it was I was speaking to. But yeah, someone said that... Oh, I think it was... Yeah, I think it was Greg. But yeah, I think someone said that... Um, that like they really missed there being like a distinct color palette. Yeah, for you sure. You can kind of look back and be like, well, the Matrix one is green, you know? And like that it, it, it missed something yeah. in terms of not quite having a distinct palette. Yeah, and it wasn't quite like Gears of War or something where like it not only didn't have a distinctive color palette, it was like drab, like it was still plenty colorful. I actually think mm. that like in a lot of ways it was quite fruity. But you definitely had some scenes, quite a lot of scenes, really, with the fact that you're channeling a lot of goth aesthetic and the fact mm. that, like, a lot of stuff you're doing is also ironically channeling a kind of corporate aesthetic that without mm. the strong colour palette, it did make it sort of aesthetically washed out and even aesthetically meandering. I can totally see that in some of the action sequences yes. where if you kind of walked into a room... And say, for example, the action sequence on the train was happening and you didn't know what movie you were watching. You wouldn't necessarily know that you, you were watching The Matrix. Whereas if you walked into the room when any of the other three movies were on and only caught 10 minutes, you'd still know you were watching The Matrix. Yes. I'm really glad you've picked up the action sequences as well. This is really my main criticism of the film, actually. I feel like I'm coming up with lots of criticisms. I do like it. I think it's great. I think you should go and see it. Keanu Reeves is amazing. Carrie Ann Moss is amazing. I would snog everybody in the movie. That's not up for debate. <laughs> I think the train scene I liked, partially because I'm a trans woman of a certain age and any time there is a scene <laughs> on a train in a film, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like clapping my big seal hands. But also because it was distinctive. It reminded me of the highway action scene in Matrix Reloaded, which is mm, possibly yeah. one of the best action scenes just in yeah. a movie full stop. Yeah. In that it had like an attractive set piece and it made good use of that set piece. You know, it was after the fashion of like the corridor from Inception or something. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of the fight scenes went down the Matrix route of taking place in like a disused building or like a period building. And without the colour wash, and also they were just kind of loose. Mm. I feel like particularly the Matrix 1 and a lot of the Matrix 2 as well are characterised by these like big fixed angle shots, theatrical kung fu kata. The bullet time is the thing that it gets remembered for, but they're really tight, precise sequences. And there was just a lot more fast cuts, um, a lot more kind of running around. <laughs> Scampering about. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so in the fight scene where like the Merovingian shows up again with all of these weird French vampires dressed in garbage... Oh, yeah. Um, which, that was a weird scene. Yeah, well, like, I fucking loved the fact that they had a bunch of weird French vampires dressed in garbage. But because, <laughs> like, it's a large-scale fight scene, you've got 12 people, 
all dressed in black, all doing flips in like a very neutral uh, mm. scene with these like fast cuts. And I felt like I was watching a Michael Bay movie or something. I was like, yeah, you know, Fast yeah. and the Furious has tighter action choreography than this. Maybe it's like a tiredness thing. Mm. Maybe, you know, like Lana Wachowski is like, Warner Brothers are going to do this whether I like it or not. And my heart's not in it. Yeah. Or whether it's like an editorial oversight thing. You know, when they made The Matrix 1, it was pretty early in their careers. Like it was a gamble. Mm. And it was like really stylized and it had to rely on that style. It was also like, I don't know, Kung Fu. There was like a Kung Fu resurgence in action movies at the time yeah yeah i'm not sure if the matrix started it or just kind of contributed to it but like obviously we i'm thinking of blade as well yeah absolutely Um, you know long trench coats doing kung fu and so i can i can kind of get the inclination to move away from that what happened is i guess that we moved moved away from it but we didn't replace it with anything more interesting i mean i guess to be honest that might be a fair criticism of action movies of the past 20 years yeah just a bit saturated aren't we there's relatively few i can think of where you've looked at the action choreography and been like oh this is like good this is impactful i think one of the Mm. few films to do it well in like i guess the style of the past 10 years let's say is dread oh yeah yeah it's got the fast cuts it's got the grimy atmosphere it's got the sort of almost like cartoonishly excessive, brutal violence. But it somehow manages to pull it off with a bit of charisma. And I, yeah, I just yeah, that movie's great. I will say, though, I did really like the final scene where, like, the people in the high-rise buildings were kind of turned into, like, bombs. Yes! Um, and, you know, you've got, like, Trinity on the motorbike like, kind of, like, weaving through it all and the explosions are happening. But, like, yeah, the, the scene where the bodies are, like, falling onto the ground was, like, really impactful disturbing and original yeah for sure when they first introduced the swarm mechanic i was a bit skeptical because i thought it was going to be zombies you know yeah it it definitely invoked zombies Um, for sure like particularly in the the train sequence in fact because i was like are we just going to do train to busan again but then when they started doing these like In the same way that I'm criticising some of the close combat scenes for a lack of concentration or a lack of focus, that felt like someone had really thought out the idea, like, Mm. what if everyone in a city tried to kill you at once? Yeah. And yeah, I totally agree. It was was really unnerving, wasn't it? It was really disturbing. Yeah, it was. Definitely one of the scenes that sort of stuck with me out of a movie that not many scenes did stick with me, even though I did really like it. Also, just on things that creeped me out, I thought Neil Patrick Harris was superb. He was a fantastic villain, wasn't he? He was so good. And he really carried the energy that Hugo Weaving brought to the energy of the principal villain. Brilliant, yeah. The whole, like monologue about bullet time in the garage was oh, really great i was absolutely creaming yeah. my jeans for that i think that was it i think <laughs> the, like the neo finding himself again kung fu and robots bit in the middle eight i was like wondering a bit and then it comes back to like mm. they're moving towards the Denwaymon. and yeah like i guess i really liked the idea that like the matrix has had to kind of migrate and find a new evil yeah like yeah. the the agents don't work anymore because people can spot them and so they've gone for therapists instead and it's like a mm. new kind of like 
insidious in your head. Yeah, like personal turmoil. Certainly for all the, you know, people built this movie up as going to be a big trans movie. And then it, it certainly wasn't anything extreme. There did feel like a really genuine queer element in the idea of like the Matrix confines you by taking your feeling that something is wrong and that you're not in the right place, you're not being the right person, and like therapizing you out of it. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. So you mentioned that you have some reflections on Matrix 1 that have come out of your viewing of Matrix 4. Yeah, in the sense that like my read on 4 and kind of what I took away from on the days after that I had, had seen it and was thinking about it was that the whole movie is like Lana's way of reclaiming the narrative on a movie that in many ways has morphed into something quite grotesque to have your work co-opted by like a far-right fascist movement must fucking suck Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like the the whole red pill thing and there's that fantastic tweet isn't there where i think elon musk tweeted something about a red pill and then like lana quote tweeted him and was just like i fucking hate you yeah (laughs) something like that um so yeah, I just kind of feel like the movie was bringing that fire and reclaiming the story in a way and being like, you know, it's not about climate change. It's not about neo-fascism. It's, it is about trans politics, but also not really. Like really, at its core, it's a movie about love. It's a movie about Trinity and Neo's love. That's like the entire premise of the film. And I, yeah, I really fuck with that. Funnily enough, we said at the start of the episode about how like I didn't like it at first and then I came around to it and that was what brought me around to it. Mm. I think I got a bit mired in my aesthetic criticisms of it or like my filmographic criticisms of it and then was talking to Beth about it actually Mm. and was like, oh yeah, it is a movie about the power of love and it really committed to that. Yeah, absolutely committed to that in every way. Yeah. I kind of feel like it undid Trinity's death in the third film in a way that was actually quite necessary. Mm. By kind of letting go of the, the chosen one bullshit and resurrecting Trinity and passing on the baton to her in a way. I found that quite impactful, you know, in the, it literally like, you know, Neo's flying powers are, are Trinity's now. Yeah, it goes a long way to challenging some of the like messianic stuff in Mm. the first few movies and in particular it really vindicates the importance of trinity's original prophecy from the oracle which is that she would fall in love with someone who would turn out to be the one Mm. and negotiates the focus away from the one and onto the love and it's actually not that like neo is important because he's the one it's that neo and trinity are important because they fall in love and it's the love that changes absolutely yeah that that's it she's no longer defined by her love for him she's just defined by her love yes Um, oh fucking drop the mic that is (laughs) oh yeah 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 (laughs) fucking love Love is real bitches (laughs) 
<laughs> the Matrix rules. It's like my dad. Matrix rules. <laughs> <laughs> Matrix for resurrections. <laughs> <laughs> and like Trinity's also Trinity's like love for herself, right? Not to be a little bit too cliche about it, but that she falters about making that decision to like leave her fucking chad husband and her, her oh fake kids right and like she falters a little bit and isn't sure if she can do it and then she kind of believes in herself at the end and says my name's fucking trinity bitch so yeah stop calling me tiffany i was gonna say like <laughs> that bit is badass can it we is. take a minute to linger on the fact that her husband is called, <laughs> called chad? chad did you know that he's played by keanu reeves's stunt double for the first three movies oh really yeah yeah he's he's the stunt double that's really funny. Yeah. I had no idea. Well, interesting fact. But it is, like, so funny that she called him Chad. <laughs> like, when that came up in the movies, I was like, is this, like, a joke? It, it like, has this, to like... be. It has to be. I, I genuinely could go either way. It's either, like, a sort of extremely online, or at least moderately online joke, or it's a genuine, like satire of masculinity i guess but I, it could be either one to be honest it could I be just, both it's, it's both i kind of want it to be a joke so otherwise all of the stuff trying to like reclaim the matrix from like the red pill narrative and everything to then go out there and be like the bad man who has the girl is called chad yeah and, uh, to be fair i did also think that about the the swarm mechanic the you know the whole npc narrative yeah that there are like npcs sure. in the world and they don't matter i was like mm, the fact that you can kind of turn a whole city into a swarm doesn't really do much to yeah i guess it's supposed to like speak to the the, the disposability of yeah. of lives to the machines because all of these people are just like batteries to them yeah but like ultimately yeah, it does kind of contribute to the idea that sort of being able to see the Matrix is available to the privileged few. I don't yeah. know. I feel like what one of the problems with the Matrix, and I do think Lana kind of gestures to this in the first half of the movie, is it's just like, like interpretative promiscuity. Mm. There definitely are things that need addressing in it, probably things that could be done better. But it's like... It's a really good religious allegory. It's a really good queer allegory. It's a, you know, it's easy enough to make it into a fascist allegory. Yeah. Like, I... Interpretive promiscuity. That's good, that is. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Can you tell I've been working on my thesis? Yeah, that's academic brain, that is. <laughs> While we're on academic brain, let's talk about the queerness of The Matrix uh, I guess as a whole, as a franchise, but specifically in Resurrections. <laughs> um, because like beforehand, people were spinning up in the... I, fuck, ne I nearly said the blogosphere. What is wrong with me? Oh my God, what year is this? 2004. <laughs> people, were, people were posting like crazy on Usenet. <laughs> no, people were going nuts on like Twitter and stuff. Mm. Talking about how like... The Matrix 1 through 3 were like movies that the Wachowskis made when they were like being private about their identities or like, you know, not out yet or, or whatever, like whatever stage they're at. It's not for me to speculate. There's this idea that like they're trans films, but the time wasn't right for the Wachowskis to make them trans films. And yeah. also like it was 20 years ago and so the culture wasn't there for them to be like out proud trans films. 
And I guess, I understandably, this hype got generated that Matrix 4 was going to be the trans film that Matrix 1 should have been. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, I understand the hype, but like it was always going to be a film from Warner Bros. Like it was always going to be kind of focus grouped, you know? Mm-hmm. But how did it come across to you as like a, a queer film or a sort of promised queer film? I was expecting more. I think yeah. I think that again not necessarily through the fault of Lana at all that like you say there was this like hype built up that it would be this big trans movie yeah. and particularly you know with the way of the world um that would have been great if it was a bit more trans I kind of feel like the first one actually is more trans than the fourth one. Um, but I don't know if that's just because, like, I haven't watched it that many times and I haven't really, like, you know, got into the the nitty-gritty of picking it apart. I think the first one is still more of a, like, trans iconic movie than the fourth one. I totally agree. And I think, for me, one of the reasons, and this is maybe a little hypocritical because it's kind of across it as, like, complaining about representation, is that... So there's this other show that I watch, and I think you've seen a couple of episodes about, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a horny space programme. It's about, like, they send Earth's hottest teens to go and investigate an alien <laughs> um, planet. Another life. Another life, thank you. And they needed Katie Sackoff for star power, so it's like Katie Sackoff commanding Earth's hottest teens, which is exactly as weird a dynamic as you'd think it is. It's MTV in space. <laughs> it's MTV in space. It really is. But anyway... They've got a non-binary character in it, played by a trans person who uses uh, Z slash Zim pronouns, and they never, ever mention it. I've watched mm. two and a half seasons now. They just don't mention it. All the characters just, like, use the right pronouns, mm-hmm. and that's just, like, part of this world of the future. Yep. It's not like a trans show. It's like a really like junk calorie sci-fi, mm. but it's just there. It's it's representation. Yeah. Um I don't think we really got that in Matrix 4. We didn't get that, but the problem was what we did get was sort of wink wink nudge nudge allusions to it. Like in Another Life, they don't ever have this character, who I think it's called Zeke or Z maybe. I can't remember. Anyway, They don't have this character being like, I don't believe in binaries. There's none of this kind of like slightly dreamworksy, like ironic dialogue about it. It's literally just like, there's a non-binary person who is an astronaut in this universe. And my problem with Matrix 4 was that they kept doing the wink, wink, nudge, nudge about binaries and being who you are in the Matrix and all of this stuff. But it would have been more effective if they'd just like... Done that with the characters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, that's not, obviously Bugs is a non-binary character and they are great, but it's still kind of like something that's conveyed through like a certain look and a certain, yeah. bit, you know, bits and pieces of veiled dialogue. And it's like... It's a, like, if you know, you know. And it's like, well, I, I want everyone else to know. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And, yeah. The, and the thing is, as you say, if you wanted, if you know, you know then Mm. The Matrix 1 has more of it. Like, The Matrix 1 is a much more symbolic movie about queer identity. Yeah. It felt a bit pleased with itself for not doing very much. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair. 
I'm definitely going to watch it again. Oh, I will watch it 15 more times. Yeah, we should watch it together. Let's watch it together. We should. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> remember when we when we recorded for the first episode, we were in lockdown and we couldn't be in the same room. So we like called each other and watched Matrix, didn't we? Like yeah. with each other on the phone. Um, oh, so it'd be quite I... nice to actually watch watch it in the same room. I just teared up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was the, the, the pits oh, of lockdown. Dear. I was thinking about... It's, oh, because I was talking about the podcast to someone the other day and about how it came about. And I was just... Yeah, I just suddenly thought now, like, that was a really hard time. It was. We made really this was. stupid podcast. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> I didn't mean to make you cry. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. I was just like... First I was like, oh, like, we did this stupid podcast and it was really hard. And then I was like thinking about the idea of like how now I can go and sit in the same room as you and watch <laughs> The Matrix and it was like I'm so lucky <laughs> no literally we are lucky we are lucky yeah you oh. don't, don't take things for granted anymore after the last two years you know yeah exactly <clears throat> exactly god yeah we can go and sit in the same room as each other's and they made a fourth Matrix movie <laughs> god is kind to god transgender people <laughs> 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 the Matrix for Resurrections, inshallah they find him. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so for the final section of the by the way, I'm aware that we've not done Gaze of Future Past or Ally of the Week in this show. I did sort of think about this, and for me, certainly, I feel like Gaze of Future Past is sort of what we've just talked about, although, like, Lana Wachowski and Warner Brothers seem to have done the work for us of showing us a bunch of, you know, queer-coded people and being like, oh, they are gay. They don't say that they're gay. Yeah. But they are gay. Mm-hmm. In that sense, working by this complex language of symbols and signs, Uh we can just assume that everybody in the Matrix 4 is a he-him lesbian. (laughs) Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Nice cop-out, but I like it. And to that end, our ally of the week is, of course, the good guys at Warner Brothers Studios. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Doing the hard hard work, bringing queer people to our screen. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't know if I was gay without the Warner Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> the Warner Brothers, I like to think, is like, there's like two of them and they live in the Warner Brothers Tower like the Animaniacs. And one of them <laughs> makes the Matrix and the other one makes the Harry Potters. Oh. And <laughs> never the twain shall meet. <laughs> do you think that there are wizards in the Matrix? Like, Do you think that in the Matrix, like Hogwarts exists? Oh, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> Answer the question. <laughs> I mean, yeah, anything can exist in the Matrix, so why not? Cool. There you so go. canonically, Neo could, like, know Harry Potter. Yeah. Well, Neo doesn't exist in the Matrix, does he? Wait, Neo doesn't exist in the Matrix? Oh, as in, like, oh, I guess he, well, he, guess he exists outside of it. 
But he could like go in the Matrix. He can and go meet in the Harry Matrix. Oh, oh yeah, no, he could go in the Matrix and meet Harry Potter. Yeah, he could do that. And you know the bit in Matrix Two where the Merovingian makes the magic cake made of code that makes Monica Bellucci come? <laughs> yes. Do you think that you could make a similar piece of cake so that Neo could like get Harry Potter pregnant? <laughs> right, I'm taking my headphones off. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I've just, you know, the guys at fanfiction.net have questions, and I, I said we're doing the podcast. <laughs> the guys at fanfiction.net composed entirely of you. <laughs> <laughs> I am many things in this world, and not all of them good, but I am not the first person to ask about Matrix, Harry Potter, and Preg Slash. <laughs> I can guarantee you. Remember when we used to, like, censor out the words Harry Potter? I feel like this episode oh, yeah. <laughs> we could probably fucking do that. Boy wizard! Boy wizard! <laughs> Never has Sorry. there been a more pressing episode to do that in. <laughs> I'm getting kind of some uh, audio interference here. It's uh, I'm saying boy wizard, but it's making it come out like uh, like Harry, Harry Potter, am I hearing? <laughs> uh, uh, hey, if this is what we get sued for at this point... It's like you say, low clout, no profile. They can't sue you if you have less than like 50,000 listeners or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's It's literally illegal. <laughs> NSA, go away. <laughs> NSA, go away. If you have less than 50,000 listeners, you could actually sue JK Rowling. You just can. Anyone can. Anyone, <laughs> anyone can sue JK Rowling at any time. You, you literally well, can. Welcome to Pronouns in Bio, the legal advice podcast <laughs> for lawyers. <laughs> okay, okay. What the fuck were we talking about? I think we were going to talk about, like, other Wachowskis property. Let's do a bit of an all-in round where we just, like, say the Wachowskis properties we've seen. So, like, oh, okay. there's V for Vendetta. Um, Sensei. Yeah. Uh, Jupiter Ascending. Matrix. <laughs> uh, well, we don't... <laughs> We've done I get that Matrix. one. Don't take it from me. <laughs> Didn't we collectively watch about eight minutes of Speed Racer together once? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my partner really loves that movie. Like, really loves it. And the few times I've tried to watch it, I've just fallen asleep, which is not a commentary on whether it's good or not. I will get there one day. Yeah, no, I want to stress that, like, the situation I'm thinking of... I don't hate Speed Racer, but um, this was the morning after a party the night before, and we were mm. very sleepy. Mm-hmm. Cloud Atlas, I've seen that. You've seen Cloud Atlas? I didn't know anybody watched Cloud Atlas. It's very long. <laughs> it's, it's, I, so I understand the book was long enough. Mm. Viva Vendetta... Um, watched that again recently under your recommendation uh it definitely holds up yeah i thought so as well v for vendetta was actually like a little almost uncomfortable to watch yeah partially because like it's a great movie with a main character who talks like you gave a reddit to a neural network <laughs> yeah like yeah. i remember watching the movie when i was a teenager and he's doing like the sort of viva viva verva ver, vagina like monologue <laughs> and like being like that's really cool i'm gonna learn that i'm gonna start talking like that yeah i'm gonna start talking like well the thing is i fucking did and all yeah i mean you still kind of do to be honest <laughs> verily uh i, I can i know two words beginning with v and it's verily and vagina so 
we're stuck there, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely responsible for like an entire generation of young people, predominantly young men, growing up thinking that like, it's cool to like, mince about in a cape, talking mm. like a prick. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me wrong, there are situations in which it's cool to mince about in a cape talking like a prick. Mm-hmm. I've seen Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm, yeah. But, yeah, V for Vendetta isn't one of them. Yeah. It had its flaws, but it, it was interesting to watch watch it 15 years later and see all of the various ways that, like, a lot of things came true. Yeah, it was alarmingly present, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When they're like, a far-right government has taken over England after a plague kills 80,000 people. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh. <laughs> So, yeah, that was, um... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah? I don't know. And so I'm just thinking about V for Vendetta. I feel like even now, 15 years later, I just don't really know what to make of it. Yeah. It's got some genuinely great moments. And then some moments where I'm just like, the worst part of this film is its central character. The whole sequence of like, when he puts what's her face in like, torture prison for a whole yeah yeah, he puts Evie in like a whole through like a whole ordeal and then like turns out it made her a badass was pretty uncomfortable yeah it actually sort of reminded me of some of like the Marquis de Sade's stuff not in terms of the like sexual pervert stuff but like the sexual pervert how old am I (laughs) Jesus Christ (laughs) I'm going fucking loopy for the, for the context, for the listeners, I'm finishing my thesis and I've had to speed read about a thousand pages of theory on sex throughout the ages recently. I'm going to log on to the blogosphere and be a sexual pervert. <laughs> <laughs> Verily. Verily. Verily with my vagina. Verily with my vagina. <laughs> Some mornings I do just log on with my vagina. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> I wasn't saying anything of consequence. I think there's like there's like a moralizing element in Saad's writings, I guess, which is sort of about like, I mean, partially he hates women. Hmm. And also this idea that humans are kind of like fundamentally cruel animals. Hmm. And that like the exercise of that cruelty is part of life. It always reminds me of that, the idea that like, the oppressive government are obviously the villains, but there's still like an essential element of cruelty in the process of resistance, Mm. which, yeah, you know, rankles me, but then I don't know if it rankles me because I think that's stupid and, I don't know, like weirdly individualist, or if I dislike it because it points to the harsh realities of creating zealots. There's a grain of truth in it. Probably the least bright and cheery of the Wachowskis movies. Like, we rewatched Jupiter Ascending recently, and I know that that's in the same camp of Speed Racer as just, like, a delight for the eyes. Mm. Yeah, it's absolutely, like, saturated, isn't it? It's so it's bright. It's so... What's the word I'm, I'm, I'm looking for? No, it's lost. Vermiculate? Do I look like that would have been the word? <laughs> No. (laughs) Sorry, Sorry, my lord. (laughs) I'll take it away. 
Gordy. Gordy. Gordy is the word. Gordy. Yeah. This is extravagant and gaudy. Yeah, I watched it with my my mum my and my stepdad recently, actually, and which was a weird movie to bond over, but everyone really liked it. Nice. They've got that thing where you push pause on your telly and it like comes up with a little window that tells you facts about the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was talk, saying about how they got like an architectural consultant in for it who like designed the visuals with lots of like gothic architecture and like European Renaissance like aesthetics in mind. So all of the spaceships that like fly in cathedrals and stuff. Yeah, and that's really cool. Yeah, I thought that was really, really cool. I love it. And I'm super resentful that it could have been the bow wave of like uh, mm. a resurgence of space opera were it not for the fact that the MCU and fucking Star Wars got their like dirty little hands on the neck of the genre. Yeah, MCU is bad for the culture. It's so bad for the culture. Like even, mm. I don't go and see their movies anymore, but even the trailers just look cheap and nasty mm. and drab. Yeah. I think we've said this a few times on the podcast, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the number one Marvel haters podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're pretty sure we've dicked on this on them before for the exact same reason. If they didn't want dicking on, they shouldn't make such ass-looking movies. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. I think we should talk about Sense8. Shit, yeah, okay. While we're on bright and jazzy, let's talk about Sense8. The segue to Sense8, surely, is that Sense8 is the Wachowskis' horniest production. Yeah, that's the production that feels like it's for us in a way that the movies don't. I think Jupiter Ascending is second to Sense8 in horniness purely because it's got Channing Tatum as a half-dog, half-man <laughs> who is, like, ripped. Buff as hell. He's so buff. And then, like... He gets with Mila Kunis and like there's this one scene where because she like finds out she's space royalty and he's just like this like genetically engineered soldier and she goes to kiss him and he steps back and is like, I'm closer to a dog than I am to you. And she's like, I like dogs. (laughs) It's just like unremittingly horny for Channing Tatum to go like full half doggy style on on Mila Kunis. Absolutely disgusting. (laughs) It is quite a horny movie. But when you've got Channing Tatum and Mila Kunis as your romantic leads, like how could it not be? Yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure. It was always going to be a sexy movie. Mm. It's the fact that they go so hard both on this man is half dog. That is not human dick. This man is half dog and that's really doing it for her. Yeah, exactly. This man is half yeah. dog. It's really doing it for her. And it's going to really do it for you, the viewer at home. <laughs> I haven't really thought about it before, but they don't really sexualize Mila Kunis. No, at not really. All. But they like have this one scene where Channing Tatum gets stabbed. And so he takes his shirt off at the start of the scene. And two scenes later, he has still not put his shirt back on. <laughs> As is good and proper. As is good and proper, yeah, like, he goes to fucking space and he's still just walking around wearing no shirt. (laughs) Anyway, far be it from me to max out getting haunt up here. Tell us about Sense8. So for anyone that hasn't seen it, Sense8 is a TV show that ran two seasons and then had a movie at the end. I think that's right. Because Netflix cancelled it. They got such backlash for cancelling it that I think due to the backlash and Lana's clout, she managed to get a movie made to kind of tie the story up. But it's about eight people who are geographically divided, I guess. They're in like eight different countries. And they begin to realise that they have like a telepathic 
connection to each other where they can like how do you how would you describe it like not teleport they can like manifest themselves to be in each other's like presence but no one else can see that yeah like astral project almost yeah 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 ostensibly the the kind of plot is about there being this kind of like shadowy organization that's trying to hunt them down for this power for one reason or another and take it from them or control it but underneath it all they're all just all really horny for each other like as you would be and so it just tells this like really horny but also like touching moving like queer story about like eight people that just love each other and want to fuck you know yeah, 100%. Who among us indeed? <laughs> it is like, it's astonishing given that the thesis is what if we assembled an ethnically diverse group of smoke shows mm. and then wrote the most contrived plot to have them all get freaky with each other? Yeah. And it's genuinely a great bit of television as well as being very, like, sexy. Yeah, so my introduction to it, I guess, is a bit of a spoiler. <laughs> Um, so skip for, forward 30 seconds. But um, I'd not seen it before. And I came home once a few years ago to Cleo and my partner Lou on the couch watching the movie finale. And these eight characters were having an, a literal orgy on screen. And they were both just like sobbing. Like <laughs> Cleo and Lou were just like like sobbing at it. And obviously I was quite confused by this reaction. So I was like, why, why are you crying? And then, yeah, I was persuaded to actually go and watch the series. And the yeah, the orgy does be hitting you in the feels like that when it does happen. It really gets <laughs> you right. This, it does. This is what I mean. Whenever we're, like, chatting about, like, you know, life, the universe, and everything outside of the podcast, and I rib you for liking feelings, that's <laughs> what Sensei is about. Sensei is for the, like, horny, reprobate queer in all of us mm-hmm. who secretly loves feelings. <laughs> like, it will it will break you down to the point that you're just watching some, like, nasty international telepathic sex, and you're like, God, life is beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't I don't like feelings, but Sensei does get through to you. It's also got, just to bring back my uh, grievance... Wait, no, I'm not letting you get away with that. You love feelings. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get away with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's also got um, some like really tight action sequences, actually much more in the classic feeling of The Matrix 1. Mm. One of the characters, played by... Uh, Bae Juna, who is one of my favourite actors ever, is a... Uh, I was going to be like a Korean martial arts master, but actually I think she's like a businesswoman who's also really good at martial arts. So maybe maybe actually not going to heap praises too highly on that when the only East Asian character in your show is also really good mm-hmm. at martial arts. Mm-hmm. The martial arts themselves are great because she can like telepathically go into people's heads and give them kung fu. Oh, I guess yeah, it is just the Matrix, really isn't it? <laughs> yeah, there's quite a lot of crossover. In The Matrix 4, there are loads of actors from Sensei that like kind of mm. pop up throughout it. Wolfgang was my favorite character in Sensei and I was so thrilled that he got like proper screen time. Um, I in Wolfgang. Matrix 4, yeah. It really was like seeing like old friends on screen. Like every time a new like Sensei character would pop up, we would all just like look at each other excitedly and be like, oh my God, look who it is, look who it is. <laughs> Which is really nice. My favorite character in Sensei is Sun, the, the aforementioned businesswoman slash martial artist. But um, Wolfgang is part of my favorite relationship in, in Sensei where 
It's like this woman who is like pledged to be married. What pledged to be married? Betrothed. We have a word for that. Um, this woman who is betrothed. Um, oh my God. Engaged. We have a word for that as well. <laughs> Fuck me. VH1s, I love the 1790s. Um, yeah, this woman is engaged, but then like gets this telepathic connection to this like bad boy gangster and starts having like a fling with him and ends up in like a love triangle with this bad boy gangster and her IRL husband. Mm -hmm. And it's just, oh, (laughs) (laughs) they're all so good. (laughs) Like by the end, I'm just like, Wolfgang, Rajan, (laughs) we mustn't. Oh, it's so good, isn't it? It's so good. Anyway, I'm pretty sure that this content is rapidly degrading into something that is, like, unlistenable except to us and possibly Lou. So (laughs) it might be worth knocking it on the head. Yeah. Anyone that hasn't seen Sensei, go check it out. Especially if you were a little bit unsatisfied with the kind of lacking queer content in Matrix 4. You'll definitely get it in in Sensei. Bring tissues for both ends. (laughs) Yes. Good advice. (laughs) (laughs) So that's probably about all we've got time for um thank you for tuning in uh we'll see you when there's another matrix out uh no that's a lie we'll see you every month we're never going away as ever listeners please do stay switched on or i guess as this is the matrix episode stay unplugged whichever side of the matrix it's good to be on stay on that one (laughs) and um put the pronouns in the bio baby Wait, wait, wait. I've got I've got a bit for this. Okay. Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had a bit, but then I looked up the components for the bit and they didn't quite assemble how I wanted them to wait, in my head. Wait, you looked up the components for the bit? <laughs> how? Doesn't matter. <laughs> I logged on to bitcollider.com. And <laughs> Bit generator. Bit generator. <laughs> hey, put the pronouns in them. Airplane food. <laughs> oi. Oh. Fuck me. Okay. <laughs> and scene. <laughs>